Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rotating Reels, the film review podcast where we alternate between new releases and favorites recommended by the co-hosts. Calling in from Portland, Oregon, I'm one of your hosts, Keegan Tran, and joining me today from Seattle, Washington, is Hank Showalter. Hello. And you are joining us for our review of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. This is the newest Marvel release. Uh, this is a in-theater-only exclusive. Uh, but before we, before we get to that, we have a couple other orders of business. Firstly, I want to call everyone to attention that we have a Patreon. We've talked about this in the past. Uh, you can go there at rotatingreels.com. And for the very low monthly subscription rate of $5 a month, you can get access to two to three new uh, episodes of what we call our After Hours, which is a, uh, a little bit of an unscripted show. Not that you would ever call this show scripted, uh, but we will usually have discussions about movies, yell at each other, have a little bit more fun over there, uh, and just kind of go a little bit more off the rails. Um, last week, we did a review of the 1992 Candyman um, as a companion piece to our review of the 2021 Candyman. And I actually think that was a lot of fun. I think we, we brought a lot of good stuff to that movie. Um, and I think our conversation of it made me realize some things that I didn't know on first watch. So tons of good discussions over there. Make sure to check us out. Um, I also want to call attention to the fact that we have a steadily increasing Instagram account. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Rotating Reels. Uh, we are at currently 193 followers right now. You, listener, could be the 200th subscriber right there. Come on over there. We post a lot of movie memes. Um, you'll also be able to see whenever we're posting new episodes. And if you are not on the Patreon, you'll be able to see some of the stuff that we're posting on Patreon to see if that's something that you want to jump in on and enjoy. And the last thing that I'll advertise before we get into any movie talk is if you want to help out the show in any way, but you don't want to subscribe to Patreon, don't want to make an account, uh, $5 a month is a financial burden that you can't undertake, which is totally fine. Uh, you can help us out for free. And you can do that by going over to uh, either iTunes or Apple Podcasts, finding our show, Rotating Reels, give us a five-star review, write a little blurb, say, you know, this is my favorite show ever. Uh, I don't watch anything else other than this show. I don't even watch the movies you guys listen to. Whatever. Write something funny. Give yourself a funny username. Uh, maybe we'll read off any funny reviews we get over there. But those reviews are very, very helpful. They help bump us up in the um, Apple Podcast algorithm. And the hope for a lot of new and young shows is to get into the um, new and noteworthy page, which is where a lot of uh, young shows get discovered. So that would be very, very nice if you guys could help us get into that section. But... That brings us to the end of all of our shameless plugs. <laughs> so, time to talk movies, Hank. Uh, we have one segment that we get into before we talk about the main review of Shang-Chi, and that is what we've been watching in the past week. In the past, we usually give each co-host uh, about three minutes to talk about stuff they've watched over the past week. Maybe they've read a comic, read a book, played a video game that they really enjoyed. Uh, after they hit three minutes, we usually play them off. Uh, but as you know, this show used to have three hosts. Uh, Taylor May, our, our series regular, has stepped away for a couple weeks, and he should be back shortly. But because Taylor is gone, Hank and I are going to go a little bit over and not do the whole playoff thing, and we'll have full time. I really doubt we'll go over five minutes each. So, Hank, why don't you let us know what you've been watching over this past week? All right. So I'm coming off of a streak of medium to heavy watch weeks with a really light watch week this week. So just a disclaimer there. Um... And with that in mind, I'm going to throw a video game on the end. But before I get to that, um, I've got some TV that I've been watching. Um, so I've been talking for weeks and weeks about 
keeping up with Wellington Paranormal, which is a New Zealand comedy uh, television show. It's from the creators of What We Do in the Shadows it's in the same universe. They're still putting out new episodes every Monday. Gets me real excited. Gets me through some rough <laughs> weeks. Um, can't recommend Wellington Paranormal enough. If you don't like the absurd, um, it might not be for you, but for you know anyone else, you know people blessed with great taste, it's definitely up your alley. <laughs> um, in the same vein, the new season of What We Do in the Shadows just started last week. Um, the first two episodes are already up on Hulu, so I watched through those. And uh, if you don't know, What We Do in the Shadows is like a mockumentary-style TV series about a family of vampires living in Staten Island. It's phenomenal. It's a 10 out of 10 TV series. There's not an episode that I like wouldn't rewatch half a dozen times. Um, just fantastic. The two new episodes are really cool. Um, they're kind of... Uh, they're tackling new ground for the series. Um, I, I, the, the first two seasons are really good. The only complaint I would have against them is that they kind of uh, tread a lot of the same ground throughout them. Um, for season three, they're changing things up a bit. Uh, they've introduced some new characters. They've changed some dynamics between the existing characters. It's really cool. Um, if you have taken my advice and seen Wellington Paranormal and liked <laughs> it and haven't seen What We Do in the Shadows, check it out. If you're anyone else, also check it out. Um, what We Do in the Shadows is phenomenal. I love it with all my heart. Um, besides that, I've also been watching through uh, my favorite reality TV series, Survivor. Um, I've been a fan of Survivor since the beginning, um, since it first started airing. Like in, in my family, it was like a weekly event. You know, we'd sit down on Wednesday at 8 p.m., watch Survivor. Um, and I hadn't watched it for a couple years, but I got back into it. Uh, my girlfriend had never seen it before, so we're starting watching from episode one, season one. And we've already wow. finished two seasons, because we'll just like put it on and just not want to turn it off. Um, it's honestly cut into my regular viewing time a lot, but I don't mind, because Survivor <laughs> is really entertaining. Um, so if you haven't seen Survivor... Uh, I think it's billed as kind of a, uh, a, a competition show that's fairly accurate. Um, but I think in kind of the advertising and in discussion of the show, they play up the importance of the actual like gamey competitions. Um, I think the real entertainment value lives in the social game because in Survivor, uh, you know, people compete for immunity from elimination. They compete for, for material rewards, but you know, after all that's said and done, uh, each team needs to, or one team needs to vote someone off at the end of every episode, and they're just eliminated from the competition. And that's where the real drama is. It's fantastic. If you haven't seen Survivor, um, I don't know where you've been living. It seems like it's been a <laughs> cultural staple for a couple decades now. There's like 40 seasons of it. Um, but if you haven't seen Survivor, it's totally worth watching. I personally really like it. Um, and I think it's uh, stayed fun to watch throughout. I still like watching the new seasons. Um, if you don't, you're probably just a hater, just drinking that haterade. <laughs> um, but anyway, Survivor is pretty darn cool. And that's pretty much the end of my what I've been watching wow, this week in terms right. of television and movies. I didn't get a single movie in this week. Actually, scratch that. I did, right after our uh, our last episode, I did watch 
The Shining, uh, Stanley Kubrick film. I'd mentioned uh, last week that I'd watched Room 237, which is a documentary about fan theories on The Shining. So I thought, fuck it. I'll just go back in, watch The Shining again. The Shining always holds up. You know, it's it's a Stanley Kubrick film. Um, The guy has a great sense of of style, um, great sense of what makes a movie work, I think. I don't really agree with any of the fan theories presented in Room 237, but I didn't need to to enjoy this movie. It's gorgeous. It's got great casting, great acting, great direction. So, of course, I'm happy to have watched it again. It's like the fifth or sixth time I've seen it now. Um, Nice. But anyway, besides all that, that is all the television and movies. I'm not lying this time. But I wanted to throw in a game this week for my What I've Been Watching um, because I picked up a game kind of on a whim... Uh, with this month's uh, Patreon money that I got from all of you. So thank you so much. Uh, but that game is a game that I've seen blowing up on Steam, which is kind of like the big marketplace of, of PC games. But it's been blowing up on Chinese Steam, not Western Steam. It's a Chinese-produced mm-hmm. game. It's, it's relatively recently been translated into English, so I was able to pick it up. But it's called Amazing Cultivation Simulator. Um, Keegan, have you heard of this ever? I have never heard of this, and I'm shocked that you've been saying that. I thought you were going to say something like 12 hours or something. No, no. Amazing Cultivation Simulator. So it's this Chinese game where you're essentially like building up a kind of a monastic sect of people that are trying to achieve immortality. And it is really complicated, especially <laughs> because I don't know really anything about Chinese culture. Like, I know some of the touchstones, like I know what happened in the 20th century, uh, not everything, but, you know, broad strokes. You know, I'm familiar with the uh, the Romance of Three Kingdoms, that sort of stuff. But this game requires at least some knowledge of Taoism, feng shui, uh, Chinese folk religion. It, it really just assumes that you have some idea what all of this stuff is going in. And it's actually important to the gameplay. As you're building out this little monastic sect, like you want to have good, good feng shui in all your rooms. That will make an impact on what's going on. You also have to deal with, um, you know, like people uh, kind of studying and like how they balance that with the rest of their life, how they balance it with like their... Uh, their mental state. Anyway, super complex. I don't get it at all, but it's pretty entertaining. Um, and the translation is surprisingly good, though they didn't do a whole lot to translate cultural references. Like, they translate them literally, but if you want to figure out what the fuck's going on, you got to go to go to the wiki. Um, and the wiki hmm. is only recently containing, like, any English material, so it's still kind of bare bones. But anyway... Really interesting game. It's only about 20 bucks. Uh, and if you've played any games in the style of, of RimWorld or Dwarf Fortress, it's like the, the Chinese take on that genre. I think it's really cool. Um, and it's not that expensive. So, you know, worth trying it out if you want to play games that aren't just kind of like already adopted into the, the Western gamosphere. I think that uh, <laughs> the Chinese developers are going to be kind of up and coming for the next few years here. We've got a lot of stuff from Japan already. The U.S. is obviously a huge center for games. I think China is going to be, you know, one of the big players, in the, even in the West, uh, pretty soon. So worth checking out. And anyway, I've rambled on now. That's my uh, what I've been watching. <laughs> nice. Hey, so to go back to one of the things you talked about a couple times, so well into Paranormal, I think there's there's been two What We Do in the Shadows movies. Is that right? And then there's also... A single movie. This is one movie three seasons of the show and one season of Wellington Paranormal. Is that yeah. right? 
Yeah. So would you say like is that is that all required reading or could you just jump into late season what we do in the shadows or well into paranormal and, and get an understanding of what's going on? Um, I would say you could do that. Um, I don't think it's worthwhile for you to do that. Uh, they do some okay. great character. Uh, I, I don't know if development's the right word, but great character exploration in what we do in the shadows. Um, yeah. And every season is great. So start from season one. You could figure it out if you start in season three. But why would you start in season three when season one is just as good? Um, similarly, Wellington Paranormal. Uh, actually, Wellington Paranormal is easier to jump in at any episode, I think. It's a little bit more on the absurd end of the spectrum. And okay. the movie was produced before anything. So if you want to watch that standalone, totally works. And none of the individual pieces are required viewing for the others. So you don't need to watch Wellington if you want to watch What We Do in the Shadows, the series. You don't need to watch What We Do in the Shadows, the series, if you want to watch the movie. And you don't need to watch the movie if you want to watch either other one. Um, but if you watch an episode of any of it and, and you like it, you're going to want to watch the rest. I mean, who are we kidding? Yeah. Yeah. I, I have seen the original movie, and I did think it was really funny. Before I knew anything about Taika Waititi or, like, the whole flight of the Concords. I didn't know anything about this New Zealand humor. Um, and so I, I think like that's a really good jumping off point. I think, is it safe to say that's probably the safest place to start? Yeah, I think the movie's the safest place to start. It's it's an easy watch too. I think it's 90 minutes, yeah. like end to end. Um, credits included maybe. So, you know, it's not gonna take yeah. a huge chunk out of your time. It's not super complex. You know, you, you can kind of turn it on in the background and peek in for the jokes. You'll still have a great time. Yeah. Cool. Good watch week. I feel like there's a good amount of stuff in there. Uh, and then I, I've said my, I don't know if I've said a shining hot take before. I think we talked about movie versus book last week. I don't know if you'll have time to watch it this week, but my hot take is that I actually, as a story, think that Doctor Sleep is more interesting than The Shining. I don't know about the movies. I think Stanley Kubrick's, you know, movie is, is iconic in its own right. But I think purely based off King's source material, I think I like Doctor Sleep more, which is, I think that's a very hot take. And I don't think... I think I'm probably wrong in that, but I, I really like that a lot. Have you read Doctor Sleep? I, I actually haven't. I've read The Shining. I've oh, seen nice. The Shining, but uh, Doctor Sleep kind of came after my major King binge years. So yeah, well, you're in for a treat if you want. I think I have two copies, so maybe I'll give you another copy when I'm up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you got two copies, time. then you know, pop up here, hand it over. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Well, solid watch week. Um, so I'll jump into mine really quick. I watched quite a few movies um, this week as well as some television, um, but starting off, I watched a Netflix original that's uh, quite uh, controversial on, on Twitter and with a lot of critics right now as being potentially the worst movie of the year, and that is uh, He's All That, which is a modern um, sequel retelling of the 90s rom-com She's All That. And the premise here is that some popular kids in high school go through a breakup, the person who is broken up with is then challenged by their friends to go find the weirdest kind of uh, ugly duckling of the school and transform them into someone that would be a good date for them in the future. Um, kind of a weird surface level, shallow premise. Um, and I think the 90s version starring Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard uh, did a good job to try to subvert that and still make it into an interesting story. Um, and this new 2021 version does absolutely nothing to try to make this into an interesting story at all. Um, it stars one TikTok star and one Cobra Kai star. So I don't know if that instills any confidence at all, but it's, uh, 
man, they're really working with what they could get here. It's a very small budget movie. It's directed by the guy that made Mean Girls. So you would think that with a strong director, you could get a decent product. But man, the acting on hand is just so, so atrocious. Um, it's not a good script that they're working with at all. It's very much a Netflix movie. Um, and I think Netflix knew that it was not going to be very good. And I think they were kind of um, banking on people hate watching this because these streaming services, you know, kind of survive on people maintaining their subscription and, and not unsubscribing. So whether or not a movie is high quality or not is kind of irrelevant. So He's All That is kind of a culmination of the worst of streaming culture. Um, I will say, though, it was a lot of fun to watch this movie with my girlfriend and just kind of talk shit about it and poke holes all over the place because um, it is very dumb. And I think um, there's a lot of fun to be had in, in watching it. So maybe I'm, I'm hate watching it and playing into my own <laughs> my own kind of critique of the movie. But whatever. It was uh, 90 minutes I'll never get back. <laughs> um, I also watched a movie called Profile, which is a screen life movie. So... Um, Oh, I'm, I'm completely forgetting. I think there's a movie, two movies called Unfriended, um, and there's a movie called Searching, starring um, a full Asian cast uh, plus Deborah Messing, and that movie's actually really good. But Profile is the newest screen life movie. It's produced by the guy that actually started the genre, um, and the premise is that you're watching a movie that's entirely screen recorded from someone's um, laptop. Um, and so this movie is about a young reporter from London who is trying to understand uh, all of these young girls who are converting to radical Islam and moving to Syria to you know, become radical extremists of, of the religion. Um, a little misguided in its premise, supposedly based on a true story. Um, this is really, really forgettable and I'm not even gonna give it much screen time. As a thriller, it's not really that exciting or interesting. Uh, it's not really well acted either. And I've seen some people say that it is kind of xenophobic. I don't know if I would go that far, but it's definitely not inoffensive, I guess I would say. Um, so this was also kind of a waste of time, waste of time as well. A uh, couple more things. I watched a short documentary on Netflix called Pray Away, which is about um, gay conversion therapies across the United States. Uh, this movie's pretty... Was that? Oh, it just said hate it. Hate the hate profile or hate pray away. Oh, hate hate the uh, the profile of the movie. Yes, yeah. yeah, profile was was atrocious, and there's no forgiving that movie. Um, pray away is a documentary on Netflix that um, covers some people that used to work for gay conversion therapies, um, who were at the time kind of held up as examples of we used to be in the gay community and we fixed ourselves through God and we managed to leave. Um, pretty interesting, um, pretty horrific, the things that a lot of these kids went through um, and still continue to, to go through. Um, and one of the really disheartening things about this movie is that it shows all of these gay conversion therapy camps from the 80s and 90s, um, shows some of the people that have left and feel very remorseful for the work they did back then, but unfortunately shows a lot of people from our modern time who are starting up these camps as well. Um, and unfortunately this is not a thing that is um, going away anytime soon as the movie is is very apt to tell you so this was pretty depressing um, definitely not a, a enjoyable watch by any means but definitely an important watch uh, but I don't have much else to say about it other than that um, and then the last movie I watched this week 
was the 2015, 2016 um, remake of Mary Poppins called Mary Poppins Returns. This is starring Emily Blunt, and it's all the music is made by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So you kind of know what you're getting into here. Um, it very much seems like it is a movie that wanted to live on in Broadway um, in a very kind of Lion King-esque way. A lot of fun stage performances here. Um, and just kind of fun, fantastical Disney stuff. I didn't love it, but I did think it was a lot of fun. Um, so that was Mary Poppins Returns. Um, Emily Blunt is amazing as always. They remade Mary Poppins? It is actually, and I think I misspoke, it is actually a quote-unquote direct sequel. So the children from That's the even original Julie Andrews one. <laughs> it's, oh, I was shocked too. I, and I hadn't seen the original in so long, but the, the brother and sister from the original are now grown up. And they have children of their own, not together. It's disgusting, but uh, in their own relationships. And so this new movie is Mary Poppins coming to visit the children of the original children. So kind of fun. Um, It it definitely is like a very, uh, definitely a family movie um, and not a movie that like, I think gives a lot, unless you're very interested in that genre. But for what it's worth, I think Lin-Manuel Miranda has a lot of fun, uh, but he just still continues to have this problem of like, making himself a very strong presence in every project that he works on when at best I think he really is just a rock star behind the scenes and I, I don't know if he always needs to be on on screen at all times in my opinion uh, other than that really quickly uh, I shouldn't promote other movie podcasts but I checked out Brett Goldstein uh, who is the actor who plays Roy Kent on Ted Lasso uh, so you probably know him as the bearded, grumpy man who says fuck a lot with a British accent. Um, he has a movie podcast. It's called Movies to be Buried With. Um, and the premise is that he will interview some very big person in the movie industry. Um, so Barry Jenkins or Nia DaCosta, who directed Candyman. Or he interviewed the person who made The Descent. Um, and he'll interview them for 10 minutes, kind of shoot the shit with them. And then he says, oh, I'm very sorry, but you just died. Uh, so let's recap your entire life through the movies that you love. So he'll go, what was the movie that you first remember seeing in the theaters? Or the movie that you have watched the most? Or that made you cry the most? Or that you thought was the most seductive? And it's kind of this really fun look at these different creative people uh, through the movies that they love, right? Because these are people that create movies and they obviously have a deep affection for it. So kind of getting a mind's eye and, and seeing what it is, these movies that influence them so much... Um, and I think it's absolutely phenomenal. He's a really great auteur. Um, he has this kind of deep, gravelly British voice that's a really fun kind of narrator for the show. And he just does a good job of, of kind of standing back and setting up the premise and letting these really, really interesting directors just kind of talk about the movies they love. So that's um, Films to be Buried With by Brett Goldstein. And uh, I have just absolutely fallen in love with the show and I, I listen to it all day while I work. I'm interested. Roy is definitely one of my favorite characters in Ted Lasso, so uh, yep. I could do with more of that. You know, obviously he won't be the same as the character, but I, I can deal with it. <laughs> he's not far off, I would say. He's he's fairly similar. So I guess the dream would be to have Brett Goldstein on the show, but then maybe he would just mid-interview just you know completely blow our minds and send us reeling into an existential crisis. So maybe that that isn't something we want. Ah, uh, you know. I'll, I'll take it if I can get it. We're, so we'll say that we're not close off to the idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
sweet. So I went a little bit long. Hank, uh, you had a relatively light week, but it seemed like it was all good stuff there. Um, and so with that, I think that actually moves us into our main review, which is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. This is the latest movie in Marvel's Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, which is, I think, the 25th film. There's been three uh, limited event series that are on Disney+, Plus. this huge web of movies. Uh, but this newest movie uh, has come out recently, and I'll read the plot synopsis for you here. Uh, Shang-Chi, the master of unarmed weaponry based Kung Fu, is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization. So, uh, before we kind of get into the backstory of it, or, you know, uh, start deep diving into any spoilers, we're going to have a section where we just talk pre-spoilers. Um, and talk our general opinions high level without talking about any you know deep narrative beats. So, Hank, I will hand this back to you. Uh, as a person who doesn't watch a ton of these Marvel movies other than stuff that has Iron Man, how did you feel about this movie? Um, yeah, so I, I went in with fairly low expectations. I don't really think very highly of the Marvel MCU. Um, I think there's a lot of really talented people involved, but just kind of the the whole thing they're doing doesn't land for me. There's just too much of it. It's too sanitized. Um, and I see it all day, every day. So I went in um, to this movie being like, okay, you know, it's more of a, you know, it's more of Endgame or, or Avengers where it's just this movie referencing five other movies they want you to go see or go rent or something. Sure. Went in with very, you know, the, my, my expectation was just a commercial mess that was maybe entertaining. Um, came out of the movie uh, about two hours ago incredibly <laughs> impressed what a charismatic movie great cast um, I was surprised by some of the uh, the decisions they they went with honestly uh, for a Disney movie um, there's a, a substantial amount of dialogue in Chinese uh, which you know uh, most of the Disney movies I've seen are you know they're all English maybe with like you know I think in Black Widow there were some like Russian barks but uh Sure. Obviously, ScarJo doesn't actually speak Russian, to my knowledge. Um, but so anyway, when in, there was a solid amount of Chinese dialogue. Um, the casting was phenomenal. I like Aquafina a lot. Um, Simu Liu uh, is just fantastic in this movie. I think his fame comes from YouTube. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Keegan. Um, yep, big YouTube guy. And then he did a, a sitcom called Kim's Convenience. But yeah, he was a big YouTube presence. Yeah, but anyway, you know, like, didn't really know this guy that well besides his appearance in uh, Dish Granted, which is a watcher show that I keep up with. But uh, he totally killed it. He was super charming throughout. Uh, you know, he, he, he was, you know, acting in both English and Chinese, which was cool. Um, he's a great-looking guy. Uh, it looked like he might have actually been doing some of the choreo uh, choreographed fight scenes, which was nice. Um, so, yeah, you know, I was actually really charmed by the movie. Um and I don't, I don't think this is a spoiler, but what I will say is one of the more charming parts of this movie to me was that it did not rely upon the fact that the MCU was already so established to be entertaining. Um, 
some of my complaints with other MCU movies is that, you know, the whole movie feels like a reference to five other movies or the whole movie yep. just really de- depends on you having seen five other movies. I think that gets exhausting. Uh, I think that, you know, if you have a good story, it can stand on its own. And this movie, I think, totally would have worked as a standalone movie. There are only a couple uh, kind of throwaway references to, like, the events of uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, there was some, you know, some character cameos throughout, but they weren't super obtrusive. Um, one of the most impressive things about the movie is that it didn't feel like it was just a vehicle to get more MCU into my eye holes. It felt like they were actually <laughs> making a solid movie. And so I like that. Um, plus, obviously, it's very stylish. Uh, I think that a lot of the choreography was taking stuff from some like kind of classic kung fu movies, kind of like the... You know the square ups were a lot more fun than in a lot of the 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 older MCU movies where it's just you know a bunch of guys flexing at each other and then punching. Um, I like kind yep. of the you know the, the the Eastern martial arts kind of square ups that involve almost kind of some dance moves. Um, so that was cool. The colors were awesome, uh, and the special effects were great. Uh, the last thing I'm going to say though is a bit less positive than the rest of all this. Uh, and it does have to do with the special effects. This movie had so much special effects on screen. Um, I could be mistaken, but I would be really surprised to find out that almost anything they did was practical. Um, but anyway, it had so much special effects on screen that I almost felt like maybe they should have just made an animated film. Um, which which kind of does a disservice, you know. Like I said, I think the casting was great. I think the actors were were, were for the most part very very good. Um, but these movies, there, there kind of comes a point when you're animating so much anyway that you start falling into this uncanny valley. At least for me, where you have these actors in the midst of all these huge special effects, they're just spanning the whole screen, and uh, it doesn't look bad. It just doesn't. I don't know. To me, it doesn't look as good as something that's fully animated. Um, because, you know, they have to try and at least present it like it's, you know, something that, like, a real human figure could be involved in and doing. And it also doesn't look as good as something that's fully practical, which is, you know, totally impressive for its own reasons. This, you know, the, the, these real actors and just these heavily animated scenes, I'm just not convinced it's ever something I'm going to be totally into. Um, but obviously it's found a lot of success in this kind of Marvel genre. So I'm not going to shit on it too much. I think it's more of a personal taste thing. Uh, but while I was watching it the whole time, I was like, wow, you know, this could have been really cool, just fully animated. I think that, you know, they had a lot of style yeah. here and they could have really brought it home if uh, it was all done by artists. Um, so that that's really kind of my big gripe. And, f- you know, for me coming out of a superhero movie, which I'm normally really unimpressed by, um, I'm glad that that was my biggest gripe, was that, you know, they could have done the visual style slightly differently. Um, for a big complaint, that's not that's not huge. So overall, surprisingly pleased with this film. Nice. And, okay, I want to follow up, because I, I have a couple theories on things that might have stuck out to you, but uh, going into those further are spoilers. So I want to follow up on you in our, our post-spoiler discussion to see some of those things that really stuck out to you for... CGI. Is there anything that you can talk about uh, that wouldn't give away any plot points that stuck out as being really egregious? Um, I, I guess like the big thing is uh, if you've seen any trailers for this movie, you know there's uh, some creatures in it. Mm. Um, and having like all these human characters doing completely unrealistic fight moves that you 
clearly had to, you know, animate their bodies to do alongside these fantastical creatures that you had to animate because they're fantastical. Just everything was animated, and I didn't know why they were kind of hampering themselves by trying to stick to this, you know, photorealistic style. I felt like something more stylized would have worked better for them in those moments especially, though in other moments as well. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, I actually took away a, a different perspective, but I think we'll we'll probably save that for spoilers because um, I, I actually have kind of a conflicting view there that I, I took away from it after watching it. But um, cool. I guess I'll, I'll get into my thoughts pretty quickly, but I just wanted to give a little bit of like a, a precursor to this movie um, and where this movie sits, not only in the MCU, but also what it represents to like the greater film landscape and what it means for you know this kind of growing popularity of Asian American filmmaking. Um, and so to go way back, I, I read a fair amount of Marvel comics, but that's pretty new. I didn't read a lot of comics when I was younger. Um, and so Shang-Chi as a character is not very prevalent in the Marvel character in the Marvel comics. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's a deep cut because he, he comes in for a lot of like events, um, but he doesn't he hasn't carried a independent comic the way someone who like Iron Man or Captain America has. Um, with that long-running uh, kind of longevity. Uh, but originally, he was based in very deep anti-Asian racist iconography. Um, originally in the comics, his father, uh, and his relationship to the father in this movie is, is very important, but originally in the comics, his father was the real Fu Manchu, uh, who back in the day in the 60s and 70s, Marvel had purchased the rights for uh, to use in their comics. Um, and so, you know, neither Fu Manchu or Shang-Chi are, are prevalent in modern pop culture. But back in the day, Fu Manchu was this very problematic character who was used to promote a lot of, you know, Asian peril or kind of, you know, anti-Asian fears, um, specifically about like Chinese laborers back in the day. Um, and so I think with this new phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're bringing in a lot of characters that are maybe deep cuts. Um, and also, I've seen in the comic book realm, they're starting to try to rewrite his character. So Marvel as a company has, you know, no longer held the rights to Fu Manchu for a very long time. And they are trying to distance themselves from that character as a whole, which I think is obviously a very good idea. Um, and in 2020, um, Marvel actually put out a new series of comics for Shang-Chi, which is essentially just a rewrite of his character. You know, reintroducing him into the canon, but in a way that, you know, is, is not so shameful, um, I guess. And so that 2020 run is written by Gene Young, who is a very good comic writer. He's done a lot of stuff with both DC and Marvel. Um, and I really like that 2020 run. I read it before watching this movie, um, and I think it's really interesting. But it actually falls into the trappings of a lot of the Silver Age of comics of Shang-Chi, um, where essentially Shang-Chi is essentially just Bruce Lee with like a red skin, like a red character skin. Um, it's it's like you take that Bruce Lee and the yellow leather jumpsuit from Enter the Dragon and just kind of change the color gradient to be red and black versus yellow and black. Um, and he doesn't have a lot of character beyond just being this martial arts guy. And I think, unfortunately, even that kind of follows into these new comics. But what I thought was so exciting about this movie is that it kind of does away with all of that. It says, you know, even though there's new comics, this is going to distance itself from that, and it's going to be its entirely own thing. Um, and it's also going to be, obviously, very far away from the original idea of this character in the comics, which I think the MCU presents a lot of good opportunities 
for these large-scale rewrites, which are a lot of fun and I think could be really rewarding, which this movie is. So all of that is to say, I think this is a very important movie. I think it's a way to go back into Marvel Comics and find a character that has kind of been mistreated in the past and, and miswritten and kind of rewrite him into someone who's actually really, really interesting. Um, and I think there's always a little bit of fear with these new movies that are kind of origin stories, introducing just one singular character versus having a lot of Marvel characters and kind of these event type movies. But yeah, man, Simu Liu is great. I think the movie is a lot of fun. As we got closer to the release of it, I started getting nervous that I wasn't going to enjoy it and that you know, maybe all these critics on Twitter are being hyperbolic and you know all their love and praise for it is kind of misplaced and they're getting swept up in it. But no, man, this this movie is a lot of fun. I left it like absolutely heart racing. This is some of the best action that's been in the MCU. And I think it has just this absolute love and affection for like 80s and 90s Hong Kong martial art movies that is just so at the core of this movie. And it, it just absolutely is the heart of it. Um, you have a great cast. You have Tony Leung, who is this absolute superstar in Hong Kong cinema. He's often a muse for Wong Kar Wai. Um, he's this very kind of seductive, interesting, kind of longing gaze type character, which is so interesting to have as this like patriarch character. Um, and I, I just, I love this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think you brought up some good comments that it doesn't beat you over the head with its presence as a Marvel IP. Uh, there's obviously a lot of crossover and, and you know, the post-credit scenes uh, obviously do a lot of work to tie this in with future movies. But, you know, you could walk into this movie like Hank, being someone that's only seen like three or four previous Marvel movies, and have a complete understanding of the narrative here. And I think that's something that you can't say about all of these Marvel movies. So I've ranted long enough. Um, I have a deep, deep love for this movie. Um, and I plan to actually watch it again this weekend and, and see if there's anything I get out of a second watch. But also, I just kind of want to financially support the movie as well. Um, I have a lot of things that I want to say in spoilers, but um, obviously in my non-spoilers, I, I just want to express my like deep love and adoration of this movie and, and how I think it did live up to the hype. Um, and I'm so happy we had this movie um, in 2021. So before I move us into our spoiler section, Hank, do you have anything else you want to throw in? Um, yeah, I just want to throw in, uh, you know, maybe you don't even need to support it financially because it sounds like it's killing the box office, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I was just reading that the, the this is like the first box office take that has gotten back to 2019 levels. Um, I don't I, I don't really know exactly what that means, but uh, <laughs> you know, for a movie in 2021 to to make something that people are calling 2019 levels, that feels like a huge shift from where we've been in with the uh, the, the cinema experience. So super cool to to hear that this movie is bringing in that kind of that kind of attention. Dude, 90 million in uh, in the first weekend, which is, I think it set some Labor Day weekends, which is pretty big. Um, and I, I think originally the thought was with this movie only being released in theaters and not having that dual premiere access release that we were kind of in a weird place and we didn't know what the financials would look like. But ultimately, man, I think regardless of the Delta virus or De Delta variant, which is obviously very, very you know, deadly and we should all be worried about people are, are still willing to turn out for this movie and it's it's getting a lot of support monetarily so we saw the same thing with black widow where it had a very good opening weekend but it didn't really have the legs um in the box office and it had one of the sharpest drop-offs in the second weekend so 
personally, I'm very worried that that's going to happen. So I'm going to buy a couple extra tickets and, and go watch it. And I don't know, spread my legs across a couple extra seats just to <laughs> provide some extra support. But no, I, I, I think it's been very comforting to see how well the movie is doing fiscally as well. Yeah, well, you know, what I will say, you know, comparing this to Black Widow, uh, this movie turned out pretty well, and Black Widow was just a fucking snooze fest, so I'm not that worried. <laughs> I think it hurts my heart to hear you say that. That You know, Shang-Chi is actually the second Marvel movie to have an Asian lead we, after Black Widow, which, you know, Scarlett Johansson being a Japanese woman is so exciting, <laughs> and I can't believe you didn't love that movie more. Um, I, I can believe I can't I, that I didn't love it more. But uh, are you feeling ready to talk some spoilers? Because I feel like we've got a lot to spoil here. I think there is a lot to spoil here, spoil here as well. So let's go ahead and move into that section. Again, if you have not seen the movie yet, it seems like we're both fairly warm on it. Um, I would say, you know, pause the recording here. Go out and watch the movie. Show Simu Liu some love. Obviously, Marvel doesn't need any more of your money, but... You know, you want to show this movie some love and show that this character is something that we want to support for future movies. Um, go check it out. It's, it's a fun watch. Um, or, you know, if you really don't care about spoilers at all, keep listening. But I got to say, there are some things in the third act that I didn't know was coming from the trailer and that I was surprised by. And I think you should, you should wait to be surprised by some of that stuff as well. So hold off, pause it here. Unless you've watched it, then keep on listening. But we're going to take a quick restroom break and then come back with our thoughts in spoilers. All right. So if you are listening to this uh, continually, then you are in our uh, post-spoiler review section. Uh, You have been warned thoroughly that we will be spoiling all parts of the narrative of this movie. Um, Either you are someone who has watched the movie and you know what we're going to be talking about, or you just don't give a shit. And either way, I think I respect that. It's very interesting either way. Um, So (laughs) I will hand it over to Hank. And I think the first question I have for you is that you brought up that there was a heavy use of CGI, almost to the point that you wish that this was a fully animated movie. Um, specifically, what were some of the things that you uh, wanted to kind of address now that we're past our spoiler bumper? Yeah, you know, the, the, there was a variety of things. And what I will say up front is that, uh, you know, none of this ruined the movie for me. I thought the action was good. Um, I thought it was, you know, well choreographed. Um, but while watching these scenes I'm about to talk about, I did think, man, this would be way cooler in like an anime or similarly styled film, at least for me. And so the big things that I'm thinking about are any fight scene involving the 10 rings. Um, there's just no, like there's no real world analog to the 10 rings you know like it's it's kind of like you're doing some sort of a martial art and these rings are flying around hitting your opponents that's really cool but you're never going to make it look like something like a real person is doing uh because there's never been a real person that has done that um and so it Th- that, can we know of, that we yeah, know that we know of that we know of um, yeah, actually, uh, Wenwu is a real historical figure. It turns no, just um, <laughs> a thousand years but, uh, old. Anyway, it's one of those things where there's no real world analog. So you know, when you record it live action with the CGI on top of it, uh, to me at least, it looks like you're having like someone do some like pretty cool dance moves in the middle of a really cool animated fight scene. But it doesn't really look like you know, when Wu is, like, doing all this stuff, it's, like, really clearly been animated around him. 
at least to my eye. Hmm. And uh, it doesn't totally take me out of the movie, but, you know, if it had been something like, you know, like I said, like an anime, or I I don't know if there's uh, like a a Chinese animation style that's not anime that's used for like kung fu animation or something, but if, if there was something like that, um, I think we would have sidestepped that issue entirely, where it doesn't really matter if the, if the things the characters are doing are unbelievable, because the artist renders all of it, all of it is internally consistent uh, if they've done it well. Um, and there's just that little disconnect for me, where I'm like, okay, you know, this is someone's face edited onto an animated suit doing really cool moves, uh, which is just kind of weird. That is, that's very interesting, because I, I actually came away with the inverse opinion that I think the CGI was just kind of used to enhance. And obviously they're gonna use it for the 10 rings, but the idea here is that Tony Leung and Simu Liu, a lot of their fights are like practical with wire work. There's a lot of scenes where they just kind of shoot their arms down Iron Man style and they kick their legs back and they fly through the air. And like, it's, it's very obvious that it's either them or a stuntman who is using wire work to fly around. And then they did kind of an overlay of of the ten rings or of, of you know whatever cgi element that person is using and so i thought it, it worked to a good effect right like so it's it's basically like if you took crouching tiger hidden dragon and just had this layer of cgi on top of it right where you add a little bit more of a fantastical element so it didn't really bother me because i think when you watch like you know a lot of chinese historical dramas there's this heavy use of like you know people doing these goofy ass crazy jumps around that, that don't have any tie to the real world Uh, But they don't have that heavy CGI element. So maybe I think that would have taken you out less. But I think because it's a a big, you know, Marvel franchise, it is almost obligated in a way to use, like, those crazy, you know, rings flying around and all this crazy CGI. Yeah, and, you know, to be clear, it didn't ruin the movie for me. Um, But, and I actually, to be completely honest, feel this way about every Marvel movie. Um, Fair. I just I, I just feel like to it, it's easier on my eyes if it's just all animated or all not or majority not um, yeah. because to me at least like when you have this much CGI and animation you lose out on some of the cool parts of live action film uh, like the cinematography in this movie you know wasn't really anything to write home about you know a lot of these shots are you know kind of straight on shots on people's faces or just you know shots of the action happening that would have been better in my opinion if they're entirely animated um whereas you know like a lot of movies with less animation you know they can make more use of the camera they can make more use of like the actor's physical movements but you know in a setting like this where the actor's you know interacting with a lot of animated elements to me it just looks a bit funky yeah, that's. I mean, that's entirely fair, and I think it's yeah. it's very much like a genre thing with this whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I, I can't fault you for that at all. But uh, I guess with that aside, do you have anything else that you really want to kick us off into this kind of post spoiler discussion? Um. Yeah. A couple little things. Uh. First of all, I, and actually, you know, I probably could have said this in the pre spoiler section, but uh, and it's it's a kind of a weird thing to be praising a movie for. But they shit said shit and bullshit multiple times in this movie. Um, <laughs> Aquafina said the word vagina at least once, um, and uh, kind of refreshing to see that in a Marvel movie or in a, a Disney movie. It's not to say they don't have those moments of, of vulgarity in Disney movies, but uh, it feels like they really shy away from from it. And here, I felt like uh, it, it, you know, it just 
it made the writing for you know like two young people in like modern day San Francisco a lot more believable. I was pretty happy to see it. Um, and then in a similar sense, uh, though not quite the same thing as throwing in that vulgarity that is normally missing from Disney movies, there were two scenes in the movie that really sold it to me. Um, and they are at the beginning and at the very end when Shang-Chi and Katie are having, uh, I think it's just like drinks with some high school friends of theirs. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the high school friends kind of jokingly reference the things going on in the world. Like, yeah, half the world's population can be snapped away one day. Or at the very end, they're saying like, you expect us to believe you just went from valeting to saving the world from soul suckers. Um, they're just these kind of little throwaway moments where they referenced the world they were in, but in a super kind of casual and organic way, almost like I could imagine, you know, saying like, it, you know, if half the world's population had been snapped away, I might say to Keegan, like, Keegan, we're living in a world where half the population could be snapped away. It just felt really organic. It didn't feel like anything I've seen in a Marvel movie before. And I really mm. loved that aspect of it. You know, the, 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 all of it felt less constructed and stilted to me than any other Marvel movie I've seen. And I appreciated that greatly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that a lot. It's this very, like, uh, kind of show-don't-tell, where it's like, you know, we're going to have the characters just have this normal conversation about the world as opposed to kind of really ramming down your throat this idea that we are like, hey, Thanos was here, right? Remember? <laughs> Remember when all the you were Avengers there for that crossover Thanos? event, right? <laughs> Remember Upstate New York? Yeah, so I thought that was very tactfully handled as well. Um, so yeah, all good points. Um, I, I'm going to give you a last chance to kind of get in some small stuff before I go just absolute full conspiracy theory on you. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, yeah, well, that, that actually works because there are a couple small things I want to touch on really quickly. Um, first of all, uh, when they were in uh, Ta Lo, is that the name of the Chinese city, Ta Lo? Yep. Uh, when they're in this little village in like this other world called Talo, there were these mythical Chinese creatures around. I loved seeing them. They're totally not something we're used to in kind of like the Western fantasy canon. Um, so I love seeing these kind of dragon-like horse creatures and these faceless winged pig things. Um, but my favorite part of all that was uh, they had... Uh, what I assume are their own interpretations of what those foo dogs that you see at like yeah. Chinese gates around the world look like. The foo dogs looked sick. I was so surprised by how much I loved them. Uh, really awesome interpretation. They were kind of awe-inspiring. And then similarly, they had uh, the, the, the dragon that came up from below the, the lake in Talong. And the dragon was awesome, gave me uh, you, you kind of cool, never-ending story vibes uh, with the way, yeah. the way it looked and the way it flew. Also, you know, reminiscent of Spirited Away, the river dragon, which was another water dragon. So anyway, the creatures, I, I was really impressed by it. I thought they were creative. They weren't super over the top, like sometimes we see uh, in kind of like modern fantasy where they're like, we need to make it clear this isn't your average dragon. You know, you didn't get a whole lot of that, you know, like we added 12 more arms and, you know, some weird fantasy appendage. Like it was all, it, it, they're fairly simple designs, but I thought really evocative and stuff that we're not super used to. And I loved all of that. Um, the Foo Dogs specifically. Those guys, every time they came on screen, I was like, hell yeah. Um, last small thing 
is seeing Ben Kingsley reprise his role from Iron Man 3 was really entertaining. Um, Ben Kingsley is uh, really, really funny in this movie. I I enjoyed his performance. Um, Though it does seem like... And I could be wrong here. Keegan, tell me if I'm wrong, but does Ben Kingsley have, like, some trouble staying in his lane, like, between playing the Mandarin and playing Gandhi? Like... (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I, I guess I can't speak to that, but it's so funny to me to hear you bring up Ben Kingsley's character because it's like, he's like, again, I don't want to say deep cut, but like, you know, Iron Man 3, or no, Iron Man, was it Iron Man 3? Iron Man 3 was like, what, 12 years ago? So it's like, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's an older movie. So it's so funny to hear you reference that as like someone who has watched that movie because I forget that you <laughs> you only stick to the Iron Man movies in this franchise and you're like I know that guy I watched <laughs> Iron Man 3 <laughs> yeah that's you know I, I, I'll admit it Iron Man 3 was one of the last Marvel movies I saw before this so it's still fresh in my mind when I'm walking <laughs> into that theater nice yeah no I, I think Ben Kingsley is he was fun, but I will say I think he overstayed his welcome a little bit by the comedic elements. Um, and that's a criticism I hear about Aquafina a lot, where she is someone who is very capable of serious dramatic roles. So she was in, uh, I think, oh, I'm going to butcher, I, I forget her name. I think it's Lu Fiang uh, directed The Farewell. And that was a big A24 movie that Aquafina starred in. Um, and kind of get you know prove that she had the acting chops but she's primarily relied on to be kind of a comedic side character um and i I kind of fear that we're reaching critical mass of aquafina roles where people are going to start getting a little tired of it um and i think the comparison to make here is like thinking on early career kevin hart where it's like oh my god we have this person who is so funny and then ultimately we just shift it into like you know we have this this big budget movie we need a funny black guy, right? Like, I almost fear we're getting to this phase where it's like, oh, do you want a little diversity? Do you want, you know, a Chinese actress who is funny? Throw in Aquafina, right? Like, I'm sure that LA is full of funny, charismatic Asian American women. I love Aquafina, but I do wish that there was a little bit of, you know, diversification in who we cast in these, you know, Asian women comedic roles. Why not even like Ali Wong or other, you know, there, there are prevalent people in this space who can, can fill these roles. So I, I love Aquafina, but I think I'm like two Aquafina roles away from being like, all right, let's pump the brakes, guys. <laughs> yeah. One thing I will say about that is, uh, and this might be a hot take. I think Ali Wong is, or not Ali Wong, Aquafina. got Ali <laughs> Wong on the mind now. Uh, but I think Aquafina is funnier today than Kevin Hart ever was. That's I don't think that's a bad take. I think that <laughs> I think I'm pretty on board with that. Um, and you know what? I I like that you brought up that like she gets to be a little bit more vulgar in this movie because the reality is that she used to be this like pretty crass, gross YouTube rapper, um, and she like her hit song "My Vag" was pretty gross, and she had like goofy rap songs with Margaret Cho. And she's not this, like, squeaky squeaky clean Disney actress, right? Like, she's this kind of goofball YouTube star. And I, I like that they gave her a little bit of the reins to be a little bit more out there with this movie. Um, so I guess props there. But, you know, again, I, I don't know how much more I can take. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair enough. I'm not sure if I'm, you know, going to want every movie I see from now on to have Aquafina in it. 
But uh, I have like seen her here and uh, in Raya. I, I think she's actually gotten some kind of fun roles. And in this movie in particular, I thought she was actually a pretty standout actress in the in the movie. I thought she she killed it pretty good. Yeah. Um, though you know, obviously it, it was it was kind of clear they picked her up primarily for the comedic chops. She was funny, but I was kind of like you know, let her let her have a bit more if you're going to bring her in. You know, if, anyone sure. can do the comedic stuff. Well, and, and I think this will move into some of the other themes that I want to bring up later, but I think she is used in this really interesting way to bring up this kind of d- divide between, you know, first-generation and second-generation immigrants, right? Because we have this really fun scene where uh, Shang-Chi goes to her house and they eat breakfast together, and, you know, they're eating together as a family, and her parents obviously expect a lot more from her, and they want her to do more with her life and her career. And she's just happy living in San Francisco, goofing off with her friend and parking cars as a valet, despite being, you know, a graduate from Berkeley, um, as one of the other characters says. So I think, I, I think of the Aquafina roles, she gets a lot to do here. And I think, you know, we actually do get to dive a little bit more into her motivations as a character versus like just being the goofy character like she is in Raya or like the Jumanji sequel, as another example. Um, so yeah, I think I might have been a little hard on her, but I think. You know, as far as character development goes, it's not bad. And one of the other things I really like is that we have this really close friendship between Katie, who's Aquafina's character, and Shang-Chi. Um, and throughout the movie, they always kind of, they rely on each other to understand their backstories, or they just, you know, lean on each other a lot emotionally. And I thought it was really, really nice that we had this platonic male-female relationship that didn't divulge into being a romantic relationship at any point. Um, and I always was a little nervous every time they hugged. I was like, don't pull back and kiss. Just leave it as friends. Um, but I, I, th- I just think it's a really cool portrayal of male-female relationships that doesn't have to be anything more than just platonic. And they can rely on each other as friends. Um, and so I think that probably was my biggest takeaway is that I think it was just a lot of fun to watch the two of them kind of bounce off each other but not have these awkwardness of any relationship ties to each other. Yeah, no, I, I can agree with that. I, I thought their relationship was uh, was kind of refreshing. And the whole time the movie was playing, every time they hugged or one of them like put their head on the other shoulders, I was right there with you. I was like, oh, no, don't let this be the moment. <laughs> and uh, it never happened. I was like a little bit unclear in the final scene uh, whether something had happened, but it sounds like you think it yeah. didn't. Um, and so I'm happy to let it be that way. And my pet theory on that is that this movie is actually one of the cheaper Marvel movies they've ever made. It was a budget of $150 million, which, for all intents and purposes, is larger than some countries' governments, right? That's a huge amount of money. It topples some GDPs. Um, but in the grand scheme of things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's not that much money. And I have this theory that Aquafina, with, Aquafina and Tony Leung were two of the most expensive people in this movie. Um, and I don't think they wanted to cement her in as a love interest because she might be expensive to bring back for sequels. Um, so for better or for worse, I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but I, I, if they leave their relationship as is, I'm perfectly fine with that. I, I could buy into that theory, and uh, I, I'm also <laughs> perfectly fine with that. I've had enough romances in my action movies. Um, sure. Yeah. All right, so... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit, I don't know if this is considered off the rails, but I do have some major complaints with this movie. Um, and again, before I get into them, I just want to reiterate, this is a movie I love a lot. 
Um, I am going to rewatch it this weekend. Um, and I think as far as like origin stories in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think this is certainly one of the better selections that you could, could get out of those movies. Um, but I do have some stuff that is more on the industry side that kind of bothers me. And so the biggest thing that sticks out to me is that all of these characters are throughout the movie like you had brought up they are continually not speaking in english which i think is kind of refreshing but a lot of the time while they're talking they're speaking in mandarin chinese which is the language of mainland china um and is spoken you know within china it's the official language of the ccp um, and as china ex expands its reach out to taiwan and hong kong that's a language that is kind of gradually replacing languages like cantonese Fukien, other languages that are more regional um, and one of the problems I have with this movie is that two of the major settings are Macau and Hong, uh, Macau and San Francisco. And San Francisco is known as being one of the earliest Chinatowns in the United States. Um, and Chinatowns are often populated by people that are from Hong Kong. Um, these are, you know, Hong Kong had economic development, but it also had a lot of refugees leaving the, the country very, you know, in, in the mid to late 1900s. So you have a lot of refugees leaving those countries to come to America and develop their own Chinatowns. So there's a heavy presence of people in, the, in Chinatowns across the United States that speak Cantonese as their first language. Um, and Cantonese is, is the language of Hong Kong and it's something that is being slowly replaced by Mandarin. Um, and so as I'm going through this movie, I'm thinking like, you know, there's no way that at this breakfast at Katie's house, they wouldn't be speaking Cantonese to one another. It's, it's kind of jarring to me that they're speaking Mandarin. Um, and then we go to Macau, and Macau is a city in Hong Kong, which again, primarily speaks not Mandarin. And all of the characters are speaking this language. Tony Leung, who is often a muse of Wong Kar Wai, um, is speaking Mandarin the entire movie, which is kind of jarring because his entire fame is doing movies that are in Cantonese. And all of the interviews he does for Shang-Chi are in Cantonese. So I think this is relevant to bring up because, you know, we've spoken in the past about how China and the CCP have had an increasingly large control over the movies that we watch uh, because, you know, it is the second largest, uh, I guess, economy that we have to show our movies in. So, you know, oftentimes you'll see movies don't do well in the United States and they'll, they'll get great box office numbers in China. Um, and that's because China has to watch and approve of movies from the United States that are essentially imports before they will show them in their theaters because they want to make sure they are fully screened for their audiences. Um, so something that I think is kind of worrying is this kind of erasure of Hong Kong culture um, in favor of having this kind of Chinese foot forward. Um, and I, I think it's a little concerning uh, and also... I'm losing my train of thought. I, I think that like Tony Leung as someone who has his entire career as being built in Hong Kong, it's interesting to see that he is making the shift to Mandarin. And I think this is all relevant to talk about because in China, Shang-Chi hasn't actually been approved for showing. So this movie is only premiering in the United States and other markets outside of China. Um, they cited the original use of Fu Manchu as being a big reason why they don't want to show the movie there because they obviously don't like that character. Despite the fact that Fu Manchu isn't used in Marvel Comics anymore and he's not ever mentioned in this new Shang-Chi movie, it's a big reason why they don't want to show the movie here. On top of that, 
you know, Marvel is not allowed to show their limited event series, so WandaVision, um, Loki, or Falcon the Winter Soldier. Disney Plus is not allowed in mainland China, so mainland China is also missing out on a lot of those movies. And on top of that, The Eternals, which is directed by a Chinese immigrant, is not going to be allowed to be shown in China either because uh, Chloe Zhao, the director of that, has had some disparaging comments about the CCP in the past. So all of this is to say that you know, Marvel and Disney have a fairly complicated relationship with China and the CCP, where they rely on them heavily to watch, you know, to distribute these movies in their country and to get a huge box office turnout, uh, but also, in a way, are kind of beholden to these markets. Um, and I think it is interesting to see so many Hong Kong actors in Shang-Chi, and I think it's very, uh, I'm very optimistic about that. But I'm kind of nervous that in the future, this kind of culture of Hong Kong and, and speaking Cantonese will be lost as we shift towards, you know, movies that are essentially just made for a U.S. audience and a Chinese audience that only want to see people speaking in Mandarin. Um, it, it did stick out to me while watching it, and, and it made me a little bit uncomfortable. And in reading people's conversations and other critics about it, I think this is something that a lot of people kind of have top of mind. So... Again, I don't know if this is within the realm of conspiracy theory, but I do wish that there was a little bit more of a heavy presence of Hong Kong as a place, especially given that Tony Leung, kind of, you know, being the biggest star of this movie next to Simu Liu, is is kind of, I don't want to say forced, but is, is speaking in Mandarin the whole movie. Um, it seems like it's, it's a little concerning there. So I don't know if this is something that came up to you, but, you know, we've talked a little bit about China's presence in, in Hollywood in the past. Where do you kind of fall on this? Yeah, I... Uh... Uh, to be completely honest, I, I, I was wondering about this, but didn't have any fully formed thoughts on it going in, because uh, I don't know uh, any Chinese language very well, and I can't by ear tell the difference between Mandarin and Cantonese. Um, mm-hmm. So I was watching it, and I, I, I know Macau is in Hong Kong, so I was like, I wonder what everyone's speaking here, because uh, I, I figured that, that Talo was probably mainland China. I could be mistaken there. So I was kind of wondering if there would be some sort of a, 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 a language gap there between, you know, various characters. And I didn't see any of that, so I kind of had my suspicion that maybe we were looking at something that was kind of being produced to speak to a, a, a Chinese audience. Um, but I, I didn't want to say that without knowing for sure. But hearing you speak on it, I think your theory that, you know, this is kind of the result of a, a large influence from, from the CCP sounds right to my ears just from what i understand of of you know kind of the modern movie industry and disney specifically and i don't Mm -hmm. love that but that's also kind of tempered by the fact that i do love seeing um you know kind of different world stories uh get get their appearance on screen and obviously uh, shang chi is not actually like a chinese story but it does borrow Mm -hmm. a lot from kind of like that that cultural pool um so I loved seeing that produced, though I do have some, some qualms about, you know, maybe some of the motivation behind it. So it's, it's one of those things yeah. that leaves me conflicted and unsure how to feel. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. So good again that, that the, some of that stuff kind of stuck out to you. I, I feel like we, on the show we've kind of had these conversa- conversations in the past. So I feel like uh, China's involvement and relationship to Hollywood is always something of interest. And I think it was just very much felt in Shang-Chi. Um, you know, for better or worse, I, th- I think that, you know, ultimately it's a good product, but I, I can't help but feel some of that strain. Um, so I guess moving away from that, 
one of the things I wanted to bring up, and this might be a little bit of a jarring transition, but we've talked about the use of CGI in the movie. Uh, but towards the latter half, uh, that entire third arc, we essentially have these like Harry Potter Dementors, these soul suckers that look like slimy, weird manta ray dragons um, that are like staging this attack on Talo. Did you feel any particular way about that? Was it too much for you? Did you enjoy it for the action? Where were you at? You know, I actually enjoyed it pretty well. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing all of the other mythical creatures in that sequence that I think were a bit more directly pulled from Chinese mythologies. That was fun. Mm -hmm. And then seeing these things that looked like, you know, uh, they're obviously not from like the works of H.P. Lovecraft himself, but they do look like something that a fan artist would draw based on a Lovecraft story. It was kind of yeah. fun seeing him get pulled in. Um, I thought that uh, it was kind of fun having Shang-Chi's dad not be like a true antagonist and having there be some greater evil. I think for the characters that made a lot of sense to me. And the fact that that greater evil was some, you know, unknowable monstrosity that sucks souls. I was fine with it. Made the action fun. Um, it provided a reasonable enough explanation for the Ten Rings organization to join forces with the people of Talo. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I liked it, honestly. I uh, No complaints from me there. Nice. I I'm glad. I think... I think it's something that would have stuck out to me more had Tony Leung not had this weird kind of, like, uh, anti-hero switch in the end there. Like, if we had just, you know, had Shang-Chi going up to Talo and then fighting the dragons, it would have been a very hollow kind of finale but the fact that like tony leung as a father character is he's so tough on his son and he is set up as the antagonist and we get to the end he's just this this longing like you know forlorn husband and father and seeing him stripped to his bear it's so rewarding it's so good um that i think it kind of ultimately overrides the the jarringness of the cgi dragon so i agree i was just absolutely enthralled in the the third act as well mm-hmm <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, the only complaint I had with that act was that, uh, you know, like I said, I felt like it was kind of brought down by the constraint of having to have real people in the midst of all of it. Um, not a yep. huge complaint, but, uh, you know, to me, if you're going to have 99% of the screen space be CGI, I feel like maybe you should have just gone for the 100 <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I, I guess I will say, I, I know Marvel has built their new studio in-house that's devoted entirely to animated works, uh, but their their work on What If is a little less than inspired, so <laughs> I guess I'm glad that they just went with like live action with the CGI overlay. But who knows? Maybe they'll be an animation powerhouse in the future. Um, I guess one can hope. But it wasn't so much that it took me out personally, but it, I definitely am not blaming you for being a little bit jarred by that. Yeah, but, you know, that's honestly my biggest complaint with the movie, and I don't feel that strongly about it. I, you know, the third act was good. <laughs> I, and so this is where I felt personally. I think the third act was very strong. I think the entire first act, which is mostly in San Francisco, is very strong as well. And I think in the middle, where we get a lot of exposition and we get a lot of, you know, necessary story, but stuff that's not particularly interesting, I thought dragged a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it was a little tiresome in the middle there did you pick up on that or do you do you feel otherwise yeah in the middle i felt comfortable enough to go go make a trip to the restroom and uh, refill the water yeah. i was drinking 
um, which is usually not a great sign for how engaging that part of the movie is. You know, if it's the time where I'm like, yeah, I can miss this. So it did drag a little. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the runtime of the movie, it's what, two hours and 12 minutes. I'm not sure it de- deserved every minute of that two hour and 12 minutes. I think any action movie um, is, is, is pushing its welcome by two hours. Like you have to be a real revolutionary movie uh, for me to be totally okay with that. I felt like the middle could have been cut, honestly, you know? Yeah. Um, or, or at least parts of it. There are a lot of long lingering shots in there during the exposition. And I'm like, get me back to some guys shooting rings off of their forearms. Like, how <laughs> hard is that? So anyway, it definitely did drag a little. Um, I think that's the nature of the Marvel Beast. I went in expecting it to be, you know, some three-hour monstrosity that was just referencing all the other three-hour monstrosities they've made. And two hours and 12 minutes, I'm like, for a Marvel movie, not that much drag for me. So I felt it didn't really pull me out of it. Enough to subvert the genre. I think that's, you know, again, for, for the trappings of the genre, I, I think, like, it's it's good to know that you were at least engaged enough to make it to that third act, which is, mm-hmm. I would imagine if you went through the entire MCU, you would not feel that way about all of the movies. So good that yeah, you at least felt I didn't feel that way about like Black was, Widow. Oh. I feel like your hate for Black Widow is just a personal front. Like, you know that I enjoy that movie, and you just, you gotta rub it in at every chance. No, I just want to make it clear that, you know, I was ready to hate on this movie like I'm (laughs) hating on Black Widow, and I did not feel the need to. So, you know. I'll take it. That's acceptable. But all right, I, I think we've had some good discussions. Is there any other little things you wanted to sneak in before we get into our ratings and then our, uh unveil of what we'll be reviewing next week um no i'm ready for ratings um i'm hoping you'll let me go first yes because i know exactly what you're gonna do and i stupidly thought i could get away with it as well but i'll let you go first and, and and scramble to think of my rating while you do yours so hank final review how did you feel about this movie yeah, so I walked into this movie expecting very little because I don't like the Marvel movies. It's just not something I'm into. Um, so I expected very little, didn't know a ton about it, um, expected, you know, fun at best. But I was surprised by great performances, a good sense of style, um, and not that much uh, not, not that much fat left on it. Like, it dragged a little, but, you know, it wasn't dragging the whole time. So uh, overall, I was really surprised by how much I liked it. It stands well on its own, and I don't think there's anyone that I couldn't recommend this to, um, other than maybe, like, small children that shouldn't be hearing profanity because uh, there were some swears <laughs> in it. But anyway, it's one of those movies that I'm ready to recommend, which I never do for Marvel movies, to be quite honest. And with that in mind, I think I'm going to give it a full eight rings out of ten legendary rings. There it is. I, I knew you had it. And I, I, again, naively thought that I could, I could do a ring for my rating as well. But 8 out of 10, man, that's shocking. Is this, do you think, potentially your highest rated Marvel movie of all time? Yeah, I'll tell you right now, this is my highest rated Marvel movie of all time. You know, I like Iron Man uh, because, you know, obviously Robert Downey Jr. is a great Tony Stark. But he carried Iron Man, for me at least. You know, I like it because he was a great Tony Stark, not really because of the movie itself. Um, this mm. movie had more than that. I loved Simu Liu's performance. I loved Aquafina's performance. So there are two people carrying it instead of one. It surpassed Iron Man for me. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. 
A rotating reels exclusive. That is, I'm absolutely floored that this was your favorite movie, but I'm so happy I was there in real time to experience it with you. Um, so no, very, very good to see that that was one of your favorite movies, if not favorite of the MCU. And I will jump into my final thoughts, which is that, again, this is a movie that I absolutely adore. I think there's a lot of, you know, hyperbolic stuff on Twitter or with critics in general about how much they love this movie. I don't want to say that it's overblown, uh, but I would say be wary of some of the things that you read online, just, you know, people being overly positive or negative on this movie, and just go ahead and watch it for yourself. I think it's it's absolutely easy enough to recommend that you should check it out if you're even the slightest most interested in seeing this movie. I adore it. I think it was a ton of fun. I think this is the best that action has ever been in a Marvel movie. You know, long takes of fun kung fu fights versus, you know, quick, jarring takes where you can tell that, like, the, the talent wasn't capable of learning good choreography. Man, this movie, it just, it just promises and it absolutely delivers on every single thing that you think it's going to be. So I think it's a ton of fun. Um, and I will give it a 21 out of 25 Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> major releases. That was something I thought of entirely on the fly because I was going to use rings as well. <laughs> no, that was awesome. You know, like, I love that it's not a, uh, a 10, you know, that... You made it your own, and I appreciate. I that tried, about you. you know. <laughs> I uh, I'm I'm nothing if not subversive. So you know what that is uh, that is going to be our review on Chang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. But again, with with it being the summer you know season, we have done a lot of blockbusters. But the the conceit of our show is that we rotate between major reviews and movies recommended by the co-hosts. So as we move into the fall and the winter, we're gonna be doing a little bit more stuff recommended by the co-hosts. And we're gonna be kicking off this kind of fall season with a Hank pick. And so Hank, I have no idea what you're gonna recommend to me. What is it that I'm gonna be watching this next week? Yeah, so uh, I was excited to find out a Hank week was coming up. I wasn't entirely prepared. I had to kind of scramble at the last minute here to you know, kind of pick something from the archives. So I did that. Um, give me a sec. My phone is ringing very rudely. Anyway, oh. <laughs> I pulled something from the archives, a movie that I saw a few years ago. I haven't seen it with anyone else. I've never met another person that's seen this movie. Um, it's an independent production out of, I believe, a joint Irish-Welsh production team. Um, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I love your reaction, Keegan. But anyway, um, I think it's a really interesting movie. Not a perfect movie by any means. I'm just dragging this out to torture my co-host. But uh, oh. a really interesting movie. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think it falls pretty squarely in the realm of Hank Week picks. You know, it's kind of a horror movie with some occult themes. But anyway, the movie I have picked out is A Dark Song. Um, hmm. Anyway, it is directed by someone named Liam Gavin. I haven't seen any of his other movies. I don't recognize any of the actors in this movie from anywhere else. But I saw it a couple of years ago, thought it was really interesting. It's largely a two-character film uh, that is centered around a woman performing a multi-day-long occult ritual in her own home with kind of like an occult guide to guide her through it. Uh, draws on, uh, I believe, some like Catholic and Jewish uh, mythologies and occult practices, um, and it's a it's it's a really interesting movie. I feel like you get a lot of horror that references kind of these occult themes without kind of exploring them up close, and this movie does that. So I won't say too much more. 
Um, but it's going to be a spooky one. I'm excited to watch it again, and I hope Keegan survives. <laughs> Hank, I don't know what it is about you, but you love to pick these movies that audiences don't like. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't think a dark song is a great SEO optimized movie. Uh, but we will see. I, I've seen this scroll by. I think Netflix has had the rights at certain times. I recognize the the poster for it, which I just checked out. And I, I've, I feel like I have either watched this movie or watched a trailer for it before. But I'm a little nervous hearing that it's an independent movie made by some uh, some Europeans from, from Ireland. So I have no idea what to expect. I feel like I'm going to come back a harrowed, disturbed man. Uh, but we shall see, you know, typical <laughs> Hank week. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, we'll see how you feel, and we'll see how the audience feels, um, because I think historically we've gotten lower views on every Hank week. <laughs> <laughs> I will say our, our lowest watched episode is the, what is it, the, what's the Sean Bean one? The Black... Sean, oh, Black Death. Black Death, that is our, our worst episode of all time. That's... We also recorded three episodes back-to-back. But, it, you know, this new one, maybe it'll be good. It looks like it's available on Sling TV, so people that want to watch that and be ready for next episode. Uh, I don't even know what Sling TV is, but uh, I will find out, and it looks like you will as well. <laughs> it has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it seems like it's a fairly well-liked movie. So maybe I was too harsh, but uh, I guess we'll see next week. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Um, like I said, I've never met anyone that's seen this movie um, and I honestly haven't even read a review of it at any point. I just found it on Netflix back when it was on there and threw it on one night by myself in my old apartment. So <laughs> I'm excited to see what it's like when it's exposed to the wider world. All right. Cool. Well, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about this at all, and I don't know how to end the episode now. But uh, check out that movie on Sling TV. Uh, we'll be doing a full in-depth review next week. Uh, also look out for future episodes this month we have reviews coming out uh, of major releases again of stuff that is recommended by us after this we have a Keegan week coming up Uh, and I don't want to uh, spoil it but if you've made it this far we have two count them two director interviews scheduled for this month Um, one of a movie that we've already reviewed and one of a movie that was beloved in the what we've been watching section so I won't say any more than that, but just look forward to a lot of good episodes coming out over the next month. Um, I'm very excited, despite this you know, horrendous Hank pick that I'm very scared of. Um, I think it's <laughs> going to be a great month. So thank you again for listening, and I think this wraps up our episode of Shop G. Yeah, thanks everyone. Hank out. <laughs>